Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning, kia ora, and uh, welcome into Mornings with Ian Smith. No, Smithy, of course, because he was, uh, if you were watching Sky last night, of course, you'll know, in Australia calling the game, the Chapel Hadley series, the first ODI, and he's going to join us later on in the show, actually. We're going to give him a, a sleep in, but uh, he will join us around 11 o'clock, uh, Smithy, and we'll get his take on what happened in Cairns last night because, uh, yeah, disappointing, I think, is probably the word. Also coming up on the show, your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet with Stumped. We'll do that after we talk to Smithy around 11.30. After 10 o'clock, NFL season is nearly upon us. It starts on Friday with the Bills taking on the Rams. Mike Carlson. Man who used to go to college with Bill Belichick, now lives in the UK and does all the NFL uh, commentary for the BBC when they play the games in the UK, Uh, writes all the updates for all the big sports betting agencies up there as well, all the previews. He's going to come on and preview the NFL season with us just after 10 o'clock. At 9.30, Jacob Spoonley is going to join us, uh, the former All-Whites goalkeeper. We're going to talk Champions League, some big results this morning in the Champions League, including Dinamo Zagreb won... Chelsea nil. We'll cover all of that. Plus, Eloise Blackwell, not too far away to talk the Farah Palmer Cup final this weekend against the Cantabs. But first, it's this. Sad but true, indeed. That's what I reckon. Uh, it was enthralling, then scintillating, and ultimately horridly disappointing and predictable. Yeah, I'm talking about the Black Caps throwing away a ridiculously dominant position to lose to Australia in Australia yet again. It's been 13 long years since our last win against the old foe on their own turf, and last night was as good a chance as we're going to get to rectify that. Yes, you can argue we were 20 runs shy with a bat after being sent in on a surface that was a mystery to all, including the hosts, but we shouldn't have needed those runs after reducing the home team to 44 for 5 after 12 overs. Yeah, you heard that right, 44 for 5. David Warner, Steve Smith, Aaron Finch, Marnus Lubbershane and Marcus Stoinis were all back in the sheds and Kane Williamson took his foot off the throat of the opposition. Rather than keep Bolt, who had three for 13 off six at that point in time, or Matt Henry, who also had a couple of wickets on, or bringing on the express Lockie Ferguson to the crease while the ball was still moving, 
and there were two new batsmen at the crease, he stuck to what can only have been a prepared plan and brought on the spinners. He bowled Sandner and Bracewell. It allowed Cam Green and Alex Carey to play themselves in and keep the run rate in check. This lack of killer instinct has cost us not just this match, but in all likelihood the Chapel Hadley series as well. I'm all for being the nice guys and not acting like complete chooks on the field, but that can't extend to not being ruthless when the opposition is on the ropes. To compound it all, Williamson's post-match interview left me wondering if he was all that bothered. It was all like, oh geez, you know, oh geez this. It had all the sting of a monarch butterfly. We needed a lion and we got a kitten. Now I've got that off my chest. You can get your thoughts through to us on double eight double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine. Double eight double three. Before I get to those, though, it is time to talk rugby and the Farah Palmer Cup final this weekend between those two old foes, Auckland and Canterbury. And joining us out of the Auckland Storm, Eloise Blackwell. G'day, Eloise. How are you? Morning. I'm good, thank you. How much are you looking forward to this one against the Red and Black? Oh, this is. As you said, like a rivalry, rivalry like no other. Um, we've come up against each other many times uh, in the FPC final, but for us, it's been seven years since we've um, had the opportunity to play against Canterbury. So, um, yeah, we're really excited for this. It doesn't get any bigger, as you say, Auckland versus Canterbury. In fact, I, I don't know if you heard uh, Izzy this morning, but they were doing uh, which team do you hate when it comes to sport? And boy, Auckland got a lot of a lot of mentions from south of the Bombays. You won't be surprised to hear. Priced at all. I don't know what it is, but um, no one really likes any or team. <laughs> jealousy, Eloise. Jealousy. That's what it is. Yeah, we'll put it down to that. <laughs> Let's put it down to that. Now, you guys, uh, you, you beat Waikato last weekend, defending champions. Great result, twenty six twenty one. Few changes a lead in that one, but it was a, a game you went into as underdogs because of, I guess, the the result in the round robin where where Waikato uh, uh, beat Auckland convincingly. What did what did you guys change? What was the approach going into into that game? Yeah, I think that we um, we really underselled ourselves in that um, that pool match against Waikato, and we definitely left a lot of left a lot of things out there on the field. Um, so you know, we had a couple of weeks to try and rectify that and. Um, we also had the inclusion of some key players back in the squad, but um, I think what what was put out on the field on Sunday just showed the depth that we have in our squad um, and the ability for us to turn a bad result into something really positive. And um, you know, we we're really happy with how that game went from the first kickoff. I I couldn't see the result going any other way, but our way. Yeah, I mean, your loose trio, um, Shemaine McMeekin, uh, Tafito Lafa'ali and uh, Liana Maka'ali-Tu'u were, were super impressive against Waikato, and you're going to need them to be on their game because, I mean, I guess it's going to really be on them to shut down Kendra Coxedge, who, who was everything for the Red and Black. Yeah, Kendra, she's crucial to um, the running of that Canterbury team, and like you said, our trio is, is a pretty devastating combo, and um, I think... Charmaine will lead them very well at the back there um, from number eight and 
if we can shut down that part of their game, they're, um, they're going to be a little bit lost. So um, that would definitely probably be a focus of ours heading into this week to try and put a lot of pressure on Kendra. Yeah, I get, it's a funny one, I suppose, this week going in um, because you want to focus on what you do and how you can do it better, etc., and, and really put the onus on your own performance. But there has to be a certain amount of how do we stop the other team, right? So how does that balance work for you in preparation? Um, yeah, this week our focus really has been on um, the things that we've been doing and been doing well. And like, obviously we've reviewed Canterbury and looked at areas where um, we can exploit them and we're just trying to, as you say, get the balance right at training. Um, we think we're nearly there. We've got another opportunity on um, Thursday to get out in the paddock and, and have a run and try and execute some of these things that we're looking at. But like for us, we're not looking to change too much in terms of how we play. Um, we think that we've got the goods and we're just trying to refine now um, at the later stages of, of this um, campaign. What did you make of Canterbury's win against Wellington? I mean, on the surface of it, 31-3 looks pretty dominant, but it was only 5-3 at half-time. Does that suggest that they're slow starters, the Cantabs? Is that something you've looked at? Yeah, um, I didn't actually watch the game. We were preparing for our own, but um, I, was, I was, wasn't really surprised at that half-time score. Wellington, I thought, would definitely be the squad to take it to Canterbury. Um, I think what this FPC... Um, campaign has showed is that Canterbury are um, beatable uh, and you just need to take your opportunities when they're given to you and they will probably be crucial for us on Saturday um, when they slip up and when given the opportunity we need to um, take that and put points on them. Yeah it's interesting, I mean this weekend I see that they've renamed uh, the um, Orange Theory Stadium the Te Oahiri Fox Cox Edge uh, field and uh, because those two players are obviously farewelling the red and black at the end of this, so there's going to be a lot of emotion on on their end, and sometimes that can get you up, but sometimes that can get in the way of things as well. Yeah, um, and those two players are great players from Canterbury, but um, also you know play on that emotion. So I think if we can try and shut that down early um, and turn the pressure over and put it on them. Um, hopefully that can play into into our hand. Yeah, I mean one of the things that um, Steph does really really well is, is is ripping the ball out of the opposition hands. I think she did it three times in that second half to Wellington. Um, she's a turnover queen. How how do you as as part of that tight five, you know, battle that up front? Yes, um, Steph's a great great player, and um, and that's their experience. But um, for us, we've got we've got a great pack. Um, we want to be really direct with them. We're a physical pack, and we know that they don't like physicality. So uh, we'll be taking it to them um, as much as we can to, to free up our outsides because our backs are, are pretty electric. <laughs> are they what? Uh, Rua Hazemont, of course, uh, Blackfern's captain at the moment. She's, she's going great guns. Looked awesome against uh, the Wallaroos. Um, how important is she to what you guys do? She's crucial, and um, as you said, she's been... She's been on fire this whole season. And, you know, every time she's got the ball in her hands, um, she's putting the defence under pressure. So she's very crucial to um, our attacking game plan. Um, so we'll be looking to utilise her a lot. Nice, mate. Nice. Now, do you think if you if you can get this title win this weekend uh, in Canterbury, does that put you back in the selectors' minds with the Black Ferns? Uh, I'm not too sure how <laughs> how that's all working. Um, 
I think for me personally, like this was one of my big goals of of the year was to win um, the NFPC title again for the Auckland Storm. It's been a, as I said, a, a wee while um, since my last championship, and I just feel like this year our squad um, we have the real potential to do that. So yeah, that's my first focus is putting my hand up for the Auckland Storm and. Um, hopefully bringing that cup back home to Auckland. Oh, that'd be it'd be fantastic to see, uh, and, and it'd be great to, uh, to great to have that success for the Auckland Storm again. But uh, just on you personally, I mean, uh, obviously it would have been disappointing not to be in that Fern squad for those those tests against the Aussies. Um, what have they told you? What's Wayne Smith and, and, and Co told you that they want to see you improve or work on to get back in the mix? Uh, it's probably just. Um a few things if I could keep it short yeah. uh, maybe just my speed around the park um, yeah I've got a lot of experience but the game plan is changing so just looking to um, shift to the particular game plan that they're looking to play and I don't feel like I'm very far off um, yeah so I'm just going to continue to put my hand up um, and if, if it happens for me it happens for me obviously that is the ultimate goal is to um, be able to run out in black at Eden Park um, at the start of the World Cup but We'll just we'll see how that goes. Oh, well, we'd love to see you there as well, Eloise. Love to see you back. Love to see you bring the FPC back to Auckland as well, mate. So best of luck this weekend to you and um, and the team. And uh, hopefully we can talk again soon ahead of that World Cup. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Eloise Blackwell there, uh, part of the Auckland Storm setup, of course, who take on Canterbury in the Fara Palmer Cup final this weekend. Keep your texts coming through, double eight, double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine. We'll get to some calls after this. It is 17 past nine here on ECNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. In Australia, calling the uh, the ODI series, the Chapel Hadley series. Uh, before we get uh, more of that, though, uh, Jared from Christchurch. Uh, Eloise Blackwell was just on from the Auckland Storm. They play Canterbury this weekend in the Farah Palmer Cup final. Uh, she said... Uh, something that has fired Jared up. Uh, he's texted through. He said, "Surely you've got to put Canterbury's women's side don't like the physicality on loop during the week to enhance the spice levels." Yeah, you've got to agree, Jared. Uh, I'll tell you what: if you're uh, Blair Baxter, the Canterbury coach, you'd be you'd be playing the team that. Um, but uh, good to, good to see it being fired up, and definitely a bit of feeling going to be uh, going on in that game. We have been talking cricket, of course. The Black Caps uh, throwing away victory last night against the Aussies in the first Chapel Hadley. This is how it sounded on ECNZ. Finch on strike. Oh, struck on the pads. Is that in line with leg? The finger goes up. Australia one for 19. Oh, playing on. Thick inside edge, Smith. And Trent Bolt is bowling lightning bolts. Warner facing Henry. Takes him up over mid-wicket. That will go for six. Oh, that's crisply struck from Dave Warner. First six of the innings. Oh, oh. now is that in line and out? Yes, it is. A ball straightening swing, middle to leg. Bolt has got Labuschagne. And Bolt is almost unplayable at the moment for Australia. Also Warner who thumps out to deep scrolling. And he's picked out Michael Bracewell perfectly. Four, four Australian wickets gone inside eight overs. Bolt's time is coming to an end. This one. Oh, what a beauty, Matt Henry. That's nipped back like an off break. And it's castled. Stoinis. Over the wicket to Green, takes it off a hip, swipes it down to a wide, fine leg, and that will bring up a very well-made 50. 
under 50 runs needed, 48 required, 75 balls remain. 5.185 as Ferguson moves past umpire Here rifle. Is. Here is a short one. Top edge, chance at long leg, lining it up and dropping it as Trent Bolt. Here's Ferguson starting and he's hit to mid-wicket and he's caught. It was short, he's got a toe in. One of the only few strokes he has hit it out of the middle of that bat. Take a bow though, Alex Carey. We've got three remaining. Final over, he bowls into Maxwell's pads, he loves it there, he smashes it out towards the backward square, but Neesham's there to take the catch, right in front of the rope. Oh, this game has another twist, another turn, Trent Bolt has four, Maxwell holds out for just two, seven for 2.05. Ferguson over the wicket of the left-hander, this is uh, balloon to square leg and another one, are you kidding me? Stark trying to turn it on the onside, hits it high on the bat and has just ballooned to the square leg where Mitchell gleefully accepts, eight down. Strap yourself in, what a finish we have here. Wind picking up and you can see the rain starting to pick up too. Zampa on strike, six off ten to Santner. Oh, Zampa wants to bring it up now. Zampa, one bounce over the rope at mid-wicket. These two came together at 5 for 44, or Carey and Green did. That's it. That's going to be a wide, a bouncer going down leg side, and Australia win the first game of the Chapel Hadley one-day series by two wickets at Kazali Stadium in a game that had just about everything. There you go, uh, 9.25 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. That was the highlights. Uh, well, I don't know if you can call them highlights, given how that game finished. Uh, to be fair, a bit of uh, last night's first Chapel Hadley ODI. You can catch commentary live of the second one here on SENZ as well uh, on Thursday uh, from the afternoon right through the evening. But uh, a lot of texts come through on this. The Black Caps' biggest problem is our conservative tactics. We take five quick, quick wickets and then give the ball to Santner who can't buy a wicket. Uh, Justin well said, Captain Conservative Kane has got to step down as ODI captain. Uh, this one has a bit of, bit of spice about it. I didn't realise the Warriors also coached uh, the Black Caps too. Ouch. Uh, maybe a, a, a point there. And uh, we also heard from Trent Bolt. He was potentially going to be man of the match until Cam Green stood up. Uh, he was bowling magnificently last night. He spoke post-match. Does that feel like one that sort of got away from 40 for 5? Um, even though you only had two thirds on the board, were you pretty confident of defending it at that point? Yeah, definitely. I thought um, the way we bowled and, and put a bit of pressure on there, we're always looking for early wickets. And to get them in that partnership um, on a wicket, that probably did change. Uh, you know, in reality, I thought it was a little bit slow uh, with the sun out. And then, yeah, it was always expected to have a bit of dew on it and um, quicken up a touch. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that you know the guys batted very well to put on 150 together there um, and get themselves in a good position and um, yeah, good game. But um, yeah, disappointed to, to be on the wrong side of it. Did you um, talk to Kane about having one more perhaps at the end of that first spell? You finished with five, and did you think about having a six just to have a go at? Yeah, I thought of having I thought of having six and maybe seven and eight, but <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not too sure what the thinking was there, but. Um, yeah, hey, they batted a long way down. I think Maxwell eight is a, a, a naughty batting order. Um, and yeah, we knew that they were going to come, oh, bat deep, um, and um, yeah, take that game deep. And yeah, I, I presume that was the thinking there. But yeah, credit to the way they, they stuck in there and, and got the game done. I thought it was an exciting start to the series and a quick turnaround and we'll go again. 
days like that, close game, um, nice crowding after the after the decisions you've made recently. Do you go out there and think how many more of these days you might have playing for New Zealand? Is that something on your mind these days? Um, yeah, I love one day cricket. I really enjoy the the challenge that it brings. Um, yeah, I I love it when the ball's swinging around a little bit like that, and you can get into the battle a bit and. Um, express your skills, but yeah, I've made a few decisions over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm pretty happy with uh, you know the, the sacrifices I'm making and getting to spend more time with my kids and etc. And yeah, hey, I've, I've really enjoyed it. But there's definitely still a big drive to contribute to the one-day side and um, push forward to that World Cup in, a, in about 40 months' time. What was the sort of feeling that the past score would have been there? Were you guys content with two thirty, or did you feel like you were a bit underwhelmed with that? Um, yeah, the the communication coming in, um, you know, with the guys that got out, it was it was a slow surface, but um, coming from the Caribbean where it was pretty slow as well there in the in the daylight, um, yeah, we were aware with what what, what the wicket was going to do. So, yeah, I'm sure we would like to push on for 20 odd more. Um, not sure the numbers, but um, yeah, maybe in that last 10, there was probably six wickets gone there. Yeah, we, we could have cashed in a bit more, but hey, um, you know, when you get a team. 30 for 4 um, with the ball nipping around a little bit we were back in the game there so yeah shame to be on the wrong side but um, yeah a lot of positives out there definitely yeah, a lot of positives uh, and then a whole bunch of negatives. And we asked you to text in on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bed Post text machine. Temper Bed Post range of mattresses, adjustable bases, adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. A couple more texts have come through. Mark in Lower Hutt has this to say. The game was a good watch, but the Aussie commentators had no spark and were drab and boring to listen to. Only Smithy kept me entertained. Williamson instead need that killer instinct if we are to win a game, let alone the World Cup. Get Stephen Fleming in as coach and a captain that is ruthless. Otherwise, we're stuffed. That is from Mark in Lower Hutt. And uh, this one too from Nathan in Southland. Thanks very much for your text, Nathan. How much of a kick in the guts was that for Lockie Ferguson to see first Santana handed the ball and then Michael Bracewell? We deserve to lose that game. It's like the old saying goes, you don't defend the Ranfurly Shield, you go out and win it. The same applies here. Cheers for your text, Nathan. Keep those coming through. Double eight, double three. The Temper Bed Post text machine. And uh, Logan, I know you were up late watching watching that as well. It had that air of inevitability about it, didn't it? When when Green and and Carey got together, and I think they, they when they when the fifty came up, like we're not shifting this. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I stayed up as late as I could, and when I realised that the overrate was going as as slow as it was, I was like, no, I, I have to go to bed. I have a bedtime. <laughs> uh, it, it was great to watch up until that point. Uh, pretty gutted there, and I mean. We're hearing a lot from you know our listeners about Kane, and but if you watched the coverage there coming through from uh, Fox Cricket, Aaron Finch is obviously under a lot of pressure as well, and uh, again struggling with the bat. So it begs the question: which captain is under more pressure in this series? Yeah, well, it's it's a really good point actually, and uh, Jared has just texted through as well, and this is something that I thought actually from that Trent Bolt interview. I'm not too sure what the thinking was there when he was asked about whether or not he should have bowled more and then they gave the ball to Santner. Uh, that speaks volumes, in my opinion, says Jared. I completely 100% agree with you, Jared. I I don't think Trent was particularly happy about that either. So, um, yeah, thanks for your text. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three is the temper bed post text machine. Jacob Spoonley going to come up talk Champions League with us shortly. Uh, right now, though, time for a news and sport update with Aroha Hathaway.
26 away from 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for him. And joining us now to talk Champions League, the first day of the Champions League group stages was today. And uh, joining us to talk about that is former White Sky commentator Jacob Spoonley. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, good. How you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. And uh, a bit of a turn up. The first game really, of the Champions League group stage, throws up an upset. Dinamo Zagreb won, Chelsea nil. Um, we've seen that, you know, all is not well behind the scenes. I don't think at Chelsea, I don't think Thomas Tuchel is particularly happy, but, man, this is still a massive upset. It is, it is. And, look, the thing we've talked about before, there's been a lot of chat about who the first number of Premier League managers might go this season. And um, people are obviously looking towards Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, potentially even Brendan Rodgers, um, now that Scott Parker's gone. But I actually think Thomas Tuchel's very much on the hot seat. That's something that we've talked about before. Now, this will be a, another uh, nail in the coffin, if you will. Um, going to Croatia, which is you know, a hard place for any team to travel. It's a very hostile environment. Um, but he's expected to come away with the points here. Um, this team has won in Zagreb, which is considered to be the poorest team in the group. So um, this is definitely a stumble by Chelsea. And it did really go to a script that we'd expect from an upset in the Champions League, which is um, an assertive start from Dinamo Zagreb, an early goal, and then um, Chelsea piling on pressure with some great defensive efforts from Zagreb, in particular a couple of key saves. Yeah, they, they, they went really well. I mean, they're unbeaten this season at Dinamo Zagreb. And I thought they might be there might be uh, some value in them for the draw, but I didn't see them getting the win here. I mean, Thomas Tuchel he's he's got Pierre Emerick Aubameyang in, so he's got that that central striker that nine. He didn't look a hundred percent just yet. He's probably hasn't had time to integrate with the team properly. But uh, I mean, from the outside looking in, you know, if you're Thomas Tuchel, what's the first thing you're working on? I think he's got a bet in the signings that he's had. He's made this season, mate, to be perfectly honest. Um, they've got a number of players that have come in last minute. Um, there's already been quite a lot of um, rotation within the squad under his particular reign. So it's really a case of deciding, I think, who he wants to uh, charge to make sure that his job is safe and that this club is settled for the rest of the season. Um, Fafana, for example, is an exciting player, but he's only had a number of weeks, and that's hours on the training field with this team. Yeah, he hasn't had long. He hasn't had long, uh, and it's all to do um, for Thomas Tuchel. So uh, we'll see how that ends. It could well end in tears. I tell you what, mate, my multi this morning ended in tears. I, I got three or four come in, and I was sure that Shakhtar Donetsk, with all their Brazilians gone because of the uh, Russian invasion, wouldn't have enough for RB Leipzig. They were paying $12 at kickoff, but they managed to win 4 1. Never saw that coming, Jacob. <laughs> no, no, um, and I think it's one of those great uncertainties, isn't it? It's not often that we have a team in the Champions League that's playing out as such a disruptive, worn-torn context, and it seems to be a really kind of galvanising feature, um, and uh, Shaka Donetsk, rather, um, playing um, as if they were for the whole of Ukraine. So a real upset there over RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig, again, in transition. They're kind of shifting from um, one regime to another at the, at the moment. Um, and there's been some, some player movement um, over the last couple of years where they have lost key pieces. But you'd expect them to come up with at least a performance which was close. Um, and they just haven't done that this morning. And the 
compounding matter is that they have to uh, travel back to Shakhtar Donetsk, wherever that might be, um, because this is their home game, and it's not the way they wanted to kick off the Champions League. No, not at all, mate. Uh, we also saw Celtic take on Real Madrid. They're in the same group, um, and Celtic performed admirably, I thought, first half at Parkhead. In fact, they probably had the better of the first half. It finished nil all, but they hit the post twice, uh, but Real Madrid just too good in the end. I think this is probably reflective of a number of different things, and uh, that is the final result to Real Madrid. So, Celtic started, it wasn't the same sort of Celtic that we see in the Scottish Premier League. They did have the handbrake on a little bit, or they were in third gear. They never really got beyond that. And there was that caution and that respect that um, they gave to Real Madrid. And Pascal, we said they would play the same way, and the team, by and large, did that. It was just that Real Madrid are so good in this competition, Ricardo. They seem to be built for the Champions League. And they waited, as they have done under... Ancelotti, they're very patient. They know their opportunities are going to come. They know the system that they employ is one that does get some benefits and is productive. Um, and we saw not only that patience, but also the depth at times, bringing Eden Hazard off the bench for Carol Benzema. I don't think many teams could do that in world football. And when you're Ange Postecoglou and you're having to <clears throat> not only convince the players that they deserve to be on this particular stage because they haven't been there for so long um, and you have to then overcome the gulf of resource. It was just too much for Celtic this morning and the floodgates did really open in that last half hour. So a convincing win for Real Madrid to kick off their Champions League campaign. It was, in fact, you know, I mean, Benzema is a world-class talent, one of the best strikers in the world, but almost not having him there as the focal point of the attack and bringing Hazard on, which meant the front three sort of interchange positions more, it was more fluid, actually sort of caused more Celtic more problems than Benzema had. <laughs> yeah, well, in fairness to him, he did have to go up against a Celtic side that were very aware of his threat. So uh, I think Ange tried to take away the key threat for Real Madrid, and that obviously is um, Benzema with his wonderful goal-scoring record of late in the Champions League. But you are right, this Real Madrid team does seem to have a dynamicism to it that makes it different to the Galacticos that we've seen in the past. Um, it's very much a, a team that seems to be um, nimble, it seems to be athletic uh, and very confident in its own ability. And um, Kimmerzinga, for me, is probably the pick of those players. He's not one that's really stamped his authority on the starting spot yet, but he's quite slight. He's, he's quite nifty. Um, he's not what you expect from a central midfielder who's got... Um, a mindset playing slightly deeper, um, but he still seems to get the job done, both in terms of breaking up play, but also pulling the string in midfield alongside the likes of Luka Modric. Now, we also saw Manchester City in action this morning. They were away at Seville, um, and, uh, I mean, I, Sevilla had a terrible start. They sit just outside the relegation zone in La Liga. They lost most of their defence from last year, and it looked like it. City winning 4-0. This new signing, Haaland, he looks OK. Might score a few this season. He got another two today. Yeah, it's really interesting to see him. He's basically come from nowhere, Ricardo, and I think he's you know really defying all expectations uh, moving into the Premier League. Um, I'd like to see what he can do. The youngster from Norway, not a traditional footballing market, um, and you know it's great for him. You know, really good stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, this is the machine's up and running. The machine is and up. the bulldozers. <laughs> the bulldozers are starting to make its way through um, Europe as it is in the Premier League. So. Um, I think Man City have just turned their mind to the weekend and I think it's you know a punctuation point put on that particular result and they leave Spain. Yep. End of.
Yeah, end of, mate. Uh, the other teams in their group, Borussia Dortmund, beat FC Copenhagen 3-0. And, uh, of course, a few eyes on uh, that Copenhagen starting lineup today. But we didn't get to see all white Marco Stamanek. He was on the bench. Uh, yes. Sorry, I just... <laughs> I can't really poor timing. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Marco um, started on the bench and we didn't see him come off. And I was kind of casting a particularly critical eye on the performance of Copenhagen watching this morning. And I think you'll see all three goals came from um, movement and build-up play that really went through the heart of midfield. So the Copenhagen midfield is, some, is an area where I think if you were looking for maybe some change going forward, you'd kind of point out the defensive structure um, that they employed against Dortmund. Of course, Dortmund are fantastic. Of course, you've got Marco Royce, Julian Brunt. Um, uh, uh, the name escapes me at the moment. Um, Claudio Reyna's uh, son, uh, Gio. So you've got those wonderful dynamic players in there. And it's going to be a tough question for any side to go into the West Island Stadium and get a, and get a result. However, I think if we, as Kiwis, are being very biased, we're saying there might be a half chance that we do see Marcus Samanich in the Superliga or potentially in the Champions League, on the turf in the Champions League, either at Manchester City or Sevilla going forward. And that, again, really is such a surreal um, consideration for Kiwi footballers. A kid that was playing in OLA and in the Team Wellington squad um, at the age of 16, 17, only a few years later, is playing within the cathedrals of European football. Yeah, fantastic. All right, mate. One of those cathedrals uh, that will be battling to be there at the end is uh, the Stade de France where PSG play. Uh, they got underway with a 2-1 win over Juve. Uh, that looks a tight group because Benfica uh, won 2-0 at home against Maccabi Haifa. I think it's going to be uh, tough to separate those three. Yeah, it is, it is. And I think you know, with Darwin New Year's um, leaving Benfica for Liverpool, the question was, well, what kind of firepower are they going to have in the Champions League? But what they have done is they've given themselves a really credible result against a potentially difficult opposition in a tough group. So they have started putting together that castle of points that will be so important to get them through to the knockout stages and defend the likes of PSG and Juventus. I do believe Ricardo, and I'm not 100% sure on this particular stat, but I think this is the first time that PSG have actually beaten Juventus in eight outings. So um, a good result for them up front, but you would expect that from a PSG side that has the firepower of Mbappe, of Messi, of Neymar, um, just to name the most exciting prospects in there. Um, against the Juventus side, that potentially is a little bit under strength. So I think Juventus, they're, they're going to really target those battles against Maccabi Haifa and Benfica going forward. And it is going to be important for them to really start chalking up a couple of wins to make sure they're in the conversation for the knockout stages. All right, mate. Uh, we have more games tomorrow, of course, including your beloved Liverpool. Um, and uh, it's a tough assignment first up away in Naples. Uh, these two teams were in the same group twice in a row only a couple of years ago, and Napoli actually caused Liverpool a lot of problems. Had two wins, a draw and a loss to Liverpool. Uh, how worried are you going into this one, given the injuries uh, and unavailable, uh, unavailability of some players for Liverpool? No Canate, no Henderson, no Naby Keita, no Oxlade-Chamberlain, Thiago probably not, Carvalho probably not as well. Um, I mean, if you're a betting man, might be a good time to get on Napoli. 
look, I think there's a couple of things uh, in there. Let's first off acknowledge the uh, niggle from the Man United fan. But moving on quickly, let's um, look at Liverpool's injury list. Yeah, it is quite astounding so early on in the season that they've got so many injuries, in particular to so many key players. Um, the likes of Thiago and Henderson, I think, are the players that they're going to miss the most uh, in their European ties. Thiago, because the game is perhaps more slightly suited for him at the European level, and then Henderson for the leadership that he's going to offer, particularly when you consider that Liverpool are going to Napoli for this game, um, and Naples is such a daunting environment. It is so loud and so hostile for opposition teams, and you will need that direction and leadership that Henderson just brings an absolute spade for the Liverpool side. We saw James Milner really take control at Old Trafford a couple of weekends ago, but it is Henderson that is the on-field general for Jurgen Klopp, and his absence, I think, is going to be keenly felt tomorrow. That being said, um, Napoli are a team that I think pose some danger, but it's not going to be a Napoli team that we used to in the past, where they really did have a number of those key weapons, the likes of Edison Cavani, for example, Insignia. They aren't there, and they'll be waiting for someone else to pop up to really take the threat to Liverpool. Good stuff, Jacob. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Uh, I, I'm not gonna, Chris has texted through asking what you think the chances of Klopp getting sacked this season are, but that would just be a wind-up, so I'm not going to ask you that. Thank you for uh, mentioning a question that you weren't going to ask, Ricardo. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the wheels to fall off Ten Hag at the moment, mate, because I can't see this being sustainable for Man United. All right, mate. We'll have that conversation when we get to it. Go well, mate. Have a great day. <laughs> you too, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. Come Cheers, on. mate. 12 away from 10 here on SENZ. SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, it's seven away from 10. Uh, the multi didn't come in yesterday, unfortunately, thanks to the black caps. I thought we were in the driver's seat there for a while, but we threw that one away. Uh, so hopefully you can get back on the horse after winning on Monday with this one. I've got tennis. I've got Igus Fiatek up against Jessica, uh, Jessica Pugler. And uh, Fiatek is going great guns at the moment. She's steamrolling her way through the competition. Uh, at $1.46, she's going to anchor my three-leg multi. Then I've got Andre Rublev, very, very consistent, who won in straight sets last round. He takes on Francis TFO, who I feel like may have played his final. He's paying $1.90. And then Napoli tomorrow, the upset against Liverpool. They are playing 360. They're playing at home. Liverpool without a host of players. Get on it. It returns 12.38. Yeah, mornings with Smithy. No, Smithy, of course. Although he will be on the show later on because coming up after 11, Ian Smith is going to join us out of Australia where he's part of the Chapel Hadley commentary team. Keep your texts coming through on that, the cricket too, and any questions for Smithy on last night's match, we'll make sure we put them to him. I do like this one. When you talk to Smithy, can you ask him the most important question? What horse tips has he got off Mark War? Apparently Mark War's wife's a top horse trainer in Sydney, so there we go. We'll definitely ask that for you. Uh, also coming up in the next hour, we have a panel uh, with Graham Beasley and Aaron Goyle for you, and we're also going to talk NFL. Mike Carlson is going to join us and preview the NFL. It starts on Friday with the Rams and the Bills. Checking out that. That could be a, a precursor to the Super Bowl this season. We'll find out what Mike thinks after latest in news and sport.
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for him with Smithy in Australia for the Chapel Hadley series. And it might be Wednesday morning, but that doesn't mean we can't have the Friday morning tight end on the phone. That is Mike Carlson. Uh, that is his Patreon. You should definitely check it out. And a, a Yank, who's now an adopted Brit and broadcaster writer over there covering the NFL, he joins us. Uh, g'day, Mike. How are you? Well, I'm okay. It started raining here uh, the last couple of days after all the heat, um, which I'm convinced is because Liz Truss was um, like announced as the winner in the uh, Tory prime minister thing, and it started raining yesterday and has not stopped since. Is that that a Stevie Ray Vaughan, the sky is crying type thing, do you think, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I think we got thirty-eight more days to go, and then I'm out in the garden building my building my ark right now. <laughs> I may sail off for New Ze- for New Zealand. You know. After, in fact, after the trade deal she did with you guys, <laughs> you, she might be have you know she might have great things in store for the Kiwi. Yeah, well, I'll make sure the border opens for you for when your arc sales in down here, Mike. Um, let's talk. That would be nice. <laughs> let's talk some NFL before we do do all of that. Of course, sure. uh, the season starts with the Rams and the Bills on Friday. Is it is it too far to say that this could potentially be a a dress rehearsal for the Super Bowl? Well, you know, it's funny how the NFL seems to schedule games for the maximum drama. Um, it could be. I, I think the Bills are justifiably the sort of odds-on favorite um, in the AFC, and I don't mean literally odds-on because you can still get you can still get a decent price on them. Um, the Rams are probably, in my mind, third, probably the third team in the NFC this season. But you know, but the, anyone who's that who's up at that level has a chance to um, survive. The the Rams are in a tougher division. Um, I don't think either New England or Miami, uh, who play on Sunday, um, will really challenge them for the division title. And of course, getting to the playoffs is is the first uh, the first hurdle you have to get over. There, the Bills are a solid team. They were very close to getting to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, Josh Allen is a tremendous weapon, a quarterback. They're a, they're a stingy defensive team, and uh, you know, I kind of like Kansas City in the AFC this year but but they have question marks that the bills don't well i was going to say the the uh, the other thing with the afc west is that it looks like a stacked division i mean the Chargers are not the worst team the broncos have rebuilt they have russell wilson and then you've got a raiders team that now has um you know Devontae adams there and the four and own preseason how do you see that afc west shaking up and is, is it the best that, that, division that that probably is um and you know and part of that is because there's four teams. They all have very good quarterbacks. Um, and, and I don't think there's another division that can boast that. And again, I talk about the drama of the NFL schedule. The last game of the week, the Monday night game, is Denver at Seattle, which is Russell Wilson's old team. So we, we get to see Russell Wilson uh, goes back to Seattle to, you know, torment, to torment the fans there. Um, it'll be an interesting matchup on Sunday when Las Vegas plays the Chargers uh, because they – they are hard teams to figure. The Chargers always look good on paper and somehow stumble before the end. And their biggest offseason addition was a defensive back, J.C. Jackson from the Patriots. He's hurt. He's going to miss the few first few games. 
Las Vegas, as you said, impressive preseason. Devontae Adams played in college with Derek Carr, their quarterback. I, in fact, I did one of their games when they played Notre Dame uh, many years ago. And so that combo looks good. Josh McDaniels, the New England offensive coordinator, is the new head coach. There's still questions about the defense. They're still kind of trying to clear out a lot of the John Gruden, Mike Mayock acquisitions. Um, but offensively, they should be a hard team to defend because Derek Waller is a really good tight end. And Hunter Renfro caught, um, what was it, 104, 105 passes last year. So they can kind of, with Devontae Adams, they can kind of attack you on every level. Um, and Josh Jacobs can run. I think that's going to be a fascinating game because I also think Justin Herbert could be the best quarterback in the league if he gets the proper shot um, at it. And the Chargers have helped. They've built up their line for him. They can still use another receiver. Um, the defense has a few stars, but but that that's a really interesting game. And, and Vegas are, are getting points. The Chargers are favorites there by three and a half. Um, I think Vegas and the points might be inter- a good bet. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that indeed. Uh, what about the Kansas City Chiefs then? They've made a few changes uh, to the roster. We saw Travis Kelsey struggle a bit last year. Do you think he'll be back to his best? And 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 where do you see them sitting in that mix? It's a really good question because he needs to be back at his best uh, with Tyreek Hill gone. Remember, they traded Hill to the or Hill to the um, to Miami. Um, and Teran Matthews gone from the defense. I think their defense is going to be better. They're trying to replace Hill not with one player, but with with a group of receivers. And it looks a lot like when Andy Reid was the coach in Philadelphia, and with the exception of Deshaun Jackson for a year or two and Terrell Owens for a year, he never really had outstanding receivers. He would go with a group of of decent guys who they would scheme open, and that they're going to have to make that work. Um, and, and that's problematic because with Tyreek Hill gone, you, you can assume that every defensive coordinator is going to be concentrating on controlling Travis Kelsey, um, maybe double teaming him. So, you know, is there someone to step up? They, they got Juju Smith Schuster from Pittsburgh. They got, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, uh, from Green Bay. They were trying to uh, corner of the market and guys with hyphens in their name. And um, they they drafted a guy that I like a lot called Sky Moore, who I think is is going to be a really good receiver. He's, he's kind of fearless over the middle. What they don't have with Tyreek Hill not being there is the deep threat. And they were very good. Three years ago, they drafted Nicole Hardman to have him basically as a second Tyreek Hill. He's never quite grown into that role, but with Hill gone, maybe he, maybe he does. It's it's going to be a, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. Um, And I actually picked them the other day um, in the, in the AFC um, ahead of the bills, just thinking that uh, maybe it will go right for them again this year. And Patrick Mahomes, everybody says he had an off year last year, but his off year was pretty damn good. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of other teams I want to ask you about in the AFC before we switch attention to the NFC, uh, and that is uh, the Bengals, who were, of course, in the Super Bowl last season in the North, and out of the South, the Indianapolis Colts. Those teams both seem to be have, have easier divisions to win, so might be easier to, or might be able to have better records come, the, come postseason. What chance do you give them as Smokies? Well, um, the... The Colts have an easier division, depending on how 
Tennessee comes back, um, how Derrick Henry in particular comes back. That's that's the question. They're a run-first play-action team. They traded away A.J. Brown. Um, and the other question is whether Traylon Burks, who's a rookie that they drafted in the first round, uh, who looks a lot like A.J. Brown, whether he can actually step up up and replace him now you know it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of mystery because last year brown carried that team toward the end of the season when derrick henry was out and you don't want a receiver to be carrying a team that's designed to to run the ball 300 times a, a season with derrick henry um so that's indianapolis's real competition the one thing i worry about with the colts i think that matt ryan's probably an upgrade at quarterback um, wide receivers, still a question, but defensively, Matt Eberflus, who's their coordinator, went off to be the head coach in Chicago. And I'm not, I'm not really, um, a huge, a huge fan of his, of his replacement because everywhere the Caldwell's gone, he plays a kind of passive, comes out of the Seattle system, but he, he plays a kind of passive, um, sorry, did I say Caldwell, Gus Bradley, plays plays a kind of um passive system and i'm not sure that the colts will will be any any um good at that um cincinnati pit it plays pittsburgh it's an interesting division because it's not that great this year it's usually but it's very well balanced um the bengals were a lot better in the run-up to the playoffs the last few games and they had a great run in the playoffs of luck Great kicking from McPherson won them some games. I think that they're probably an improved team this year. Uh, and Pittsburgh obviously is breaking in an, another quarterback. It's going to be Mitch Trubisky, um, who finally gets his chance to play, hopefully with a, a serious offensive coordinator. Um, and they defensively need to put up a lot because although their offense – skill position players look good the offensive line is still a work in progress i think that gives cincinnati a big advantage um this week and then of course cleveland on paper looked great before the start of the season then we've had the whole um deshaun watson situation um they um they trade they got rid of baker mayfield finally and in fact another one the nfl he goes to carolina or Cleveland go to Carolina, so they'll be facing Baker Mayfield in their first game. And then Baltimore, who I always like. I always think the Ravens are one of the most solid franchises in the league. Um, they've got to prove that Lamar Jackson is back healthy and they can adjust their offense in a way that won't get him hurt again. They also need to get that defense back to what it usually is. They fired Wink Martindale, their coordinator, um, last at the end of last year. And so I'm curious to see what will happen there. So unlikely as I, I thought it would be at the beginning of the of preseason, I actually think the Bengals are the favorites in that division. Um, I, I really thought that they would kind of, we call it the, the plexiglass syndrome where, where you, you know, the plexiglass goes one way and then it bounces back. Um, when a team gets a lot of breaks one season, they, they tend to revert to the mean. Um, so, but I think Cincinnati is probably legitimately the favorite in, in what, will be a balanced division. I don't see anybody coming out of that with more than 11 wins. All right, let's uh, shoot over to the NFC then. I've got to ask you about Tampa Bay. Uh, does Brady have enough weapons this season to get Tampa all the way to the championship game? 
Yeah, probably. The The question is, does Brady, is this the point where Brady hits the wall? And it, it's funny, I was listening to a lecture by Timothy Snyder, who's a professor at Yale, who's an expert on um, Eastern Europe and military history. And, and the lec- it, it's the first of a series uh, in the classroom. You're, you're basically just a classroom tape. And, and one of the things he says was that all the military historians like to be psychologists because they don't understand the military history, but everybody thinks that they can psychoanalyze a general or whatever. And it's the same thing in the NFL. Everybody thinks they can psychoanalyze Tom Brady um, and everybody else. And, you know, right now it's like Brady's marriage is falling apart. Uh, Brady, you know, took the week off, 10 days off practice. Brady was going to retire and now he's back. He was, he was going to become a player owner of the, of the uh, Dolphins and the NFL put a kibosh on that. So, you know, I, I think, I think everything revolves for good reason around Tom Brady. Um, if Mike Evans and Chris Godwin can both stay healthy, um, for the whole season, which they haven't been able to do the, la- the last couple of years. He probably has enough offensive weapons. He's, we know, psychoanalyzing him, what I said we shouldn't do, but um, we know that he is the kind of guy who like, when once you're his favorite, he goes to you. And if he's not, if you're not his favorite, he doesn't. So the question is who's going to step up to be his favorite with Gronk gone at tight end? You know, Cameron Braid is an okay tight end, but he's not a Gronk. They signed Kyle Rudolph, who, you know, was once a very good tight end, but is in the tail end of his career. They've got a couple of rookies, one of whom paid out and I think could step up quickly. But, you know, they signed Julio Jones, who's not anywhere near as old as Brady, but for a wide receiver is pretty old and, and has been playing injured for a couple of years. He could be the extra guy. If you think of like what Antonio Brown did when they brought him in at the end of the season, they won the Super Bowl. Um, Scotty Miller, I thought at one point was going to be that guy in a kind of Wes Welker way. But one of those guys has to step up um, and become trusted for Brady. The other thing with the team is I don't know if the defense is quite as strong as it was up front, especially, although Vita Vea is one of the unsung great players in the NFL. Um, but I'm not sure they've got the, the same kind of pass rushing strength that they had a couple of years ago. Um, and that's going to be that's going to be an interesting question to see, too, because they can come back. Um, but they also their defense also made it easy for them in a lot of games. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think Tampa's got a, a, a good shot in in the uh, NFC. And strangely enough, I like Green Bay a little bit better, even though there are more question marks around Green Bay. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers uh, still uh, there for another go-round. Uh, and before we before we finish... <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I mean, you know, with the ayahuasca, you know, he was drinking... He won't take uh, COVID vaccines, but he'll drink ayahuasca tea um, <laughs> and, and trip out. I just thought that was, the, that was the greatest thing ever. You know, he was saying how he was passing the love on to his teammates. I've never seen a, per, a player since basketball's Rick Barry who could turn around and throw his teammates under a bus every time they drop a pass or run the wrong route or whatever and and the facial expressions are insane so thinking that he got you know in touch with the one with the universe and was still able to do that um really makes it strange now he he obviously has to recover from Devonte adams being gone and they have to make up for that um so it'll be an interesting thing to see how he reacts to his new receivers um you know and if some if one or more of them can become his favorite targets the way 
the way Devontae Adams was. All right, Mike, just before we let you go, give us give us your, your winners, your AFC, your NFC winners. Who have you got? Well, I mean, I, I, it, it's really only hunching. Um, I, I don't I don't feel confident the way I have the last couple of years. And I was right a couple of years ago. I was wrong last year. Um, but I, I, I was hunching Kansas City and Green Bay. Um, last year, I picked Kansas City and Tampa for a rematch. So this will be the third year in a row I'm picking Kansas City. Buffalo would not surprise me at all. Like I said, they're justifiably the favorites. Um, and uh, you you called the Rams. The other team I would keep an eye on are the 49ers. If uh, either Trey Lance plays really well from the start, or if he doesn't, Jimmy G comes in and plays really well. Because people forget they went to the Super Bowl three years ago. And last year, if Jack Whiskey Tart doesn't drop a stone interception, that Matt Stafford threw in the NFC Championship game, they would have gone to the Super Bowl again twice in three years. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback who they weren't very happy with and they wanted to improve. And, I, you know, I like Trey Lance a lot, but I'm not sure he's ready yet to step in as a starter. Yeah, good stuff, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work at Friday Morning Tight End and uh, we'll stay in touch across the season. Oh, thanks, mate. Cheers, uh, Mike Carlson there with us talking NFL season gets underway this weekend or this Friday. In fact, it is 20 past 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. When we come back, it's time for the panel. With Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 26 past 10 here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Time for the panel. Aaron Goyle from the Waikato Times joins us. G'day, Aaron. How are you? Yeah, g'day. Well, thank you. That's the story, mate. And uh, we've also got uh, Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. G'day, Graham. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, Gentlemen, of course, uh, disappointing last night. Aaron, I have to ask, at what point did you go, oh, no, I've seen this show before and, and give up on the cricket and go to bed? Um, to be honest, I saw it through, uh, <laughs> but yes, there was a couple of points where I could have considered, uh, packing up for the night. Um, yeah, what do you say? 44 for five. It was a little bit Michael Bevan 2.0, wasn't it? Um, in terms of Alex Carey, but yeah, gee, how, how well did he and Cameron Green bat in that partnership? Um, the ball just stopped moving and yeah, that end just looked, uh, looked uh, way easier than it had all day. Um, and then, yeah, it was a match that had everything, though, didn't it? The, those three quick wickets, to, you know, once they broke that partnership, it was still on, and then off for a little bit of drizzle and, yeah, plenty of drama and uh, one of those sort of low-ish scoring ODIs that just proves ODI cricket still great. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is still great, uh, isn't it, Graham? ODI cricket. It's just frustrating. I mean, at 44 for five, 12 overs down, you put the foot on the throat, but no, we put the spinners on. Um, surely a few question marks over prepared bowling plans. Surely you've got to be able to be more flexible. I don't. I doubt Brendan McCullum would have done that had he been captain. Yeah, you're right. He'd have, um, he'd have put the foot on the throat. It was almost as if Williamson was worried about his fifth bowler and was trying to get Michael Bracewell through as quickly as he could and then brought on James Neesham. And, you know, it was almost he was concerned about that. But with such a low-scoring game and having them at 40 for 5, um, you're unlikely to restrict them. 
um, to get a win. So I think that we that we should have gone for the um, for the jugular and tried to bowl them out. But um, as Aaron said, it all got exciting when they lost a few wickets, and I was um, I was masochist enough to um, to stay up and watch the whole thing as well. Yeah, uh, well, Aaron, what did you make of this? After the match, Trent Bolt was interviewed, and he was asked about whether or not he was tempted to have a sixth over. And he said, mate, I was tempted to have a sixth, a seventh, and an eighth. And when he was asked about the ball being thrown to Santner, he said, yeah, I'm not too sure what the thinking was there. Uh, not exactly a ringing endorsement of the bowling plan, was it? Hmm, sounds like the Mount Monganui uh, duo haven't been at the same... Uh dining at the same cafe for a while or something. They, um, <laughs> yeah, him and Kane, <laughs> they go back a long way. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Usually the fast bowler wins and the argument for captain, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Normally yeah. they do. Normally they do. <laughs> would have been interesting if Tim Southey had been on the field, what would have happened? He'd have of the ball, wouldn't he? There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He never would. You wouldn't have. Been, you wouldn't have been able to get it out of his hand with a crowbar. Uh, Graham, does this does this raise question marks over Kane's captaincy? Because not only did he make these calls that obviously cost us a a, a game and our first win in Australia uh, since 2013, but afterwards, I I don't know that he was that bothered. He was kind of ummed and art and oh, you know, oh, geez, this, oh, geez. But it it, it didn't seem like it. It stung too much for him. I, I wonder whether in, we need to look elsewhere for a for a white ball captain. Yeah, because I actually think that Tom Latham is a good captain. Um, I've, I've I've been impressed with him when, like when he was captaining in the West Indies when when Kane Williamson was injured. Um, it sort of seems to me, and it's the same with Williamson's batting. He's just he's just not there at the moment. Um, you know, he's had so so many months off with various injuries and things like that that. Um, I'm not sure that he's at the top of the game. And if you're not at the top of your game when you're batting, it can affect your captaincy as well. And um, you're right, that was, a, that was a pretty timid effort last night. Yeah, it was. Uh, where are you on that, Aaron? I mean, is it right to start questioning the captaincy of Kane, given some of these what seemed pretty weak decisions last night? Uh, I think it's pretty easy in hindsight. Um, it, for me, it would be more around the workload side of it um, the mental toll that it takes um, there's already, you know, in the last couple of seasons been talked that maybe he could relinquish a white ball format or both white ball formats, um, you know, as captain, because it's actually quite rare looking around the, the international circuit nowadays, isn't it, to see, like, not only a leading player, but, you know, one guy taking charge in all three formats. Um you do wonder if it has affected his batting and then throwing that elbow injury as well. And yeah, it, it could be worth a freshen up. There won't be, um, you know, there's two, like the World Cup's coming up, um, you know, next year for the 50 over, so there's probably no point. Um, but until then, um, but but maybe then would be a, a nice time to have a look. Yeah, indeed, might need a, a wee bit of a refresh and a, and a, and a rethink too, and maybe a more aggressive style of captaincy would be good ahead of uh, that World Cup. Uh, we are bang on 10.30, time for the latest in news and sport. We'll be back to talk FPC, US Open and NRL with the panel after the latest in news and sport. Panel. Yeah, 26 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, the panel continues on with Graham Beasley from Sports Freak 
Waikato.co.nz and Aaron Gore from the Waikato Times. Gentlemen, NRL finals are upon us. Uh, start with you, Graham. Which matchup of this finals weekend are you most looking forward to? The Panthers, Eels, the Storm Raiders, the Sharks, Cowboys, or the Roosters and the Rabbits? There's a song in there somewhere, isn't there? Raiders, the storm, um, and and that's probably that's probably the one that I'm looking forward to the most. Um, you would pick that the storm will win that playing at home, um, so that'd be the Raiders out pretty early. Um, but uh, I think they'll all be good. Also, maybe the Eels might upset the Panthers. Mm, yeah, that's not a bad shout. The Eels have beaten the Panthers twice this season already. Uh, that was two of the Panthers' three losses. And I'll tell you something else for free. The Raiders are 4-0, and their last four visits to Melbourne. So there could be a couple of upsets on the cards here, Aaron. And it all counts for nothing when they come to finals. That's what they say, eh? <laughs> but um, surely... Yeah, surely it has to count for something for the Eels um, against the Panthers. Like That's quite a psychological, you know, little advantage that they can take in. Um, yeah, this Panthers side will be, yeah, really tough to tough to beat. Nathan Cleary back from uh, suspension, isn't he? So, yeah, they're just uh, they're probably yeah, probably going to roll on through, you'd think, to the to the big one. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting um, in that Roosters Rabbitohs um, go again. How often do you see it in these uh, competitions where you get a match up in the last round and then you get a repeat in a um, in a playoff game the next weekend? So yeah, it will be very interesting. Yeah, you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong. Actually, it's interesting on the Storm front too because you know as as good a um, backline as they have. Next season, they're going to lose both the Bromwich brothers, Felice Kalfusi and Brandon Smith, out of the Ford pack. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, it's going to be hard to replace all of that, isn't it, Graham? They'll find replacements, though, won't they? You know, it's like when um, when Fords leave the Crusaders, they, they always just seem to find find people to fill those gaps. And I think it's likely to be much the same with the Storm. They just, you know, they'll they'll go up to North Queensland and find some. Um, some young talent there, or something like that. Um, they just never, you know, there's never a weak storm side, is there? No, there isn't. There isn't. I just wonder uh, with the loss of, of personnel last season, this season, uh, and 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 ahead of next season, whether or not that depth is still there. They always, as you said, seem to be able to produce somewhere someone out of nowhere. Uh, but a lot of those someone's have now disappeared, and uh, that I think the depth is is uh, certainly something that's taken a hit for the Storm. It'll be interesting to see how they go next season and what could be uh, Craig Bellamy's last. Uh, let's talk US Open then, gentlemen. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, of course, everyone's uh, favourite. Australian tennis player, uh, Aaron. Um, he uh, upset Daniel Medvedev, got through him, uh, the number one seed. Of course, we saw Rafa Nadal go out, the number two seed. Uh, Kyrgios, though seeded 23rd, was fourth favourite at the TAB ahead of the tournament. Faces Karen Kachanov in the quarters today. Uh, I think he'll dispatch him pretty comfortably. Uh, you, How do you feel about Nick Kyrgios as a Grand Slam champion? Yeah, I'd like it. It's probably... Um you know, been a long time coming, really. Uh, he just, um, he's just absolutely brilliant to watch. Um, he's entertaining, and as much as people might not like him, um, you know, you can't doubt that he's such a talented tennis player. And he gets bums on seats and people turning on the TV to watch tennis. Um, 
that point the other day where, where he came round the net and smashed a winner illegally. It just sort of sums him up how unorthodox the guy is. And then um, asking Patrick McEnroe on the sideline whether it was legal or not. Uh, this sort of sums him up like he doesn't know the rules, but he's an awesome player at the same time. And, and after the match, like, you know, sure, he's not perhaps the most humble or whatever, but he actually sounds like he's got his head switched on a bit more now and he's actually focused. And, man, you could actually see this guy winning a few Grand Slam titles. Yeah, I mean, Patrick McEnroe, probably the perfect person to deal with a guy like Nick Kyrgios. He'll have had plenty of experience growing up uh, with, with with the precursor of John McEnroe. Uh, Graham, he, he has made the final Wimbledon this season. He's won the Washington hardcourt as well. Has uh, Nick Kyrgios flipped a switch? Is he now a serious contender? Yeah, I think he has, and absolutely box office. I mean, he's just great. Every single time he goes out onto the court, something happens. Um, you know, as Aaron said, with the um, uh, illegal shot in the previous round, etc. You just want to keep on watching him because um, um, you never know what's going to turn up next. So um, they say in tennis and in golf, you've got to lose a major to win one. Um, and with him having made the final at Wimbledon and being beaten by Djokovic, then I think you know I think he would have learned from that. Obviously, the draw is a lot easier this time around, um, and I think it's just to lose. Which, which is what might happen because I think it'll, it'll if he if he doesn't win this, it'll be him losing it rather than somebody beating him. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's 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 probably a fair call. Actually, I was I was doing some reading on Nick Kyrgios the other day. He is uh, one of only a couple of players to have beaten uh, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Novak Djokovic at the first time of asking each time he's played them, which uh, I think says a lot for his uh, capacity and his skill base as well. Uh, but it really uh, you know, has been disappointing to now. The one thing I've never quite understood, Aaron, is people not liking Nick Kyrgios because of his antics, yet eulogising about how great John McEnroe was to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, do you know, and possibly one of the most underrated things about, um, you know, the good things about watching Nick Kyrgios, I find is that he just doesn't take long between points. He actually gets the ball, bounces it a couple of times and serves it. Um, <laughs> sometimes, um, you know, you're watching these guys. I know there's a serve clock now, but, you know, these guys, that can take forever between points. Um, you know, but he just gets on with it, whether it's between the legs, uh, underarm serve, or <laughs> one of those 200k thunderbolts. He's got everything in his game, doesn't he? He does. Eh? Aussies and underarms. Less said about that, the better, uh, I guess. Um, uh, let's move on, gentlemen. We've got the Farah Palmer Cup final this weekend. Uh, and oh, isn't it refreshing, Graham, that New Zealand rugby haven't hobbled this competition by pulling the Black Ferns out to go in a training camp? Yeah, because the, the final was pretty flat last year, really, wasn't it? Mm. We're, we're taking all the best players out. And imagine that a national provincial championship final in rugby New Zealand with the top players there. Uh, <laughs> it does seem unusual. Um, I assume that Canterbury will go in as favourites um, and the sentimentality around the whole uh, Sandra Cottage thing. Um, and Canterbury do tend to win finals in rugby union, whether it's men or women. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. It is good that the star's going to be there. And both sides are stacked. 
Yeah, both sides are stacked. I mean, we saw uh, Auckland uh, Storm take out Waikato last weekend in what was a, a tight game, Aaron, but uh, lots of black ferns on show. And, you know, it, it feels like this game is going to come down to whether or not that Auckland loose trio can can you sort of nullify uh, Kendrick Oxage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with it being, as Graham said, her her 100th game and, you know, the retirement, and, yeah, there's plenty for her side to get up for, isn't there? So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Auckland um, were done by Waikato um, a few weeks ago in Hamilton, and then they turned it around in the semi-final. And, um, yeah, Canterbury obviously um, had that sort of uh, loss in the final last year to Waikato, and... Yeah, interesting competition. And, uh, yeah, as you say, great to have these uh, black ferns in it. Imagine if the, uh, the men's one was uh, was very much the same. Uh, you know, gosh, that's going back to some glory days there, that sort of thinking, isn't it? But, um, yeah, these, um, these ladies, I'm sure there'll be no love lost, um, yeah, ahead of uh, this big World Cup coming up where they'll, uh, they're still competing for a few spots, I suppose. Yeah, well, I tell you, Eloise Blackwell fired a few shots. We had her on earlier today, and she said, oh, you know, the Canterbury pack don't like physicality. Uh, so, I mean, if you're Blair Baxter, you're playing that on loop, aren't you, this week? <laughs> wow, that makes it easy, doesn't it, eh? <laughs> easy for the coach there. Yeah, indeed. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the panel today. Uh, enjoyed our chat. Go well. Thank you. Thanks, Cheers, uh, Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. Aaron Goyle from the Waikato Times with us on the panel. It is 17 away from 11. What is, what is going on? What does that music mean? You don't know what that music means? I don't know what that music means. This this is huge breaking news from across the ditch, Ricardo, that you are going to love. Okay. Confirmed. Andrew Voss will be commentating the Parramatta Eels qualifying final against the Penrith Panthers on Friday night. They beg the question, will Voss's good luck continue? In case you don't know, he has called 10 Eels games this season with a win rate of 100%. Yes. Oh, there we go. That is that is great news. And on the great man's birthday as well. It is Andrew Voss's birthday today. So happy birthday to Vossie. Let's whisper those eels home, my friend. Let's whisper those eels home and make it three in a row against the Penrith Bunnies this weekend. As they all say, it's coming up Millhouse. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, 10 away from 11 o'clock. Our text come through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Hey, Ricardo, huge difference between McEnroe's Big Mouth and his Grand Slam titles versus Kyrgios and his Big Mouth and Zero titles. But I do suspect it will be a different story if he can get over that hump and get a Grand Slam title or two to his name. Thanks very much for your text and keep those coming through on double eight double three. Make sure, too, you tune into SENZ every Sunday from midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts and Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed and join us tomorrow as well as we raise funds uh, for four New Zealand charities all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. No one loves racing more than Louis Herman Watt. He joins us now. G'day, Louis. How are you, brother? 
Yeah, Rick Dog, loving it, bro. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, we talked Group 1s uh, coming up, well, the first Group 1 of the season coming up this weekend. Uh, any developments on that? What are, what are we updating today? So today we get the uh, markets, to be honest, at, at about 2pm or thereabouts. We have a Paulie Mawati and uh, the lads at the TAB get their A into G. Usually it's about 2pm. You get those Group 1 markets up. But as well as the Group 1, you get the feature markets. So at Hastings this weekend, there are a bunch of ripping races. There's the El Rocca Colin Meads Trophy, and that is a... A great three-year-old race, which leads into the 2,000 guineas for the Colts and the Geldings. And the field has come up so good for that. Well, right now, at least in the nominations, we've got Golden Darcy, a well-spruked runner for Sean Phelan. We've got Dynastic, last year's Karaka Million winner, Fellini, who's been well-performed, as well as Alabama Gold. And then we've got the Gold Trail, and this has got the three-year-old Phillies. So it's the three-year-old kind of coming out party. This is when they announce themselves, Rick. We really get a good look at them, see who's a genuine serious contender to kick on and win those feature Group 1 three-year-old races down there at Cup Week. And personally, I just cannot wait to see what they do with this market. I think the three-year-old Colin Meads Trophy in particular, I'm very fascinated to see who they price up as favourite here. Times like these, I wouldn't love to be a bookie. Outside that, uh, you're racing at Matamata today on a heavy eight, so the tracks are starting to dry out. I mean, the, the the water table is just so high around the country, as everybody knows at the moment, and uh, I'm a little bit worried we're going to get a heavy track at Hastings this weekend, although someone did say um, that it has been sunny there today. So hopefully they start to dry out, like the heavy eight is just starting to head down in the right direction, and we get some good racing today at Matamata then for the rest of the week heading towards Hastings. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff, Louis. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. We'll we'll let you put your feet up for the day now, eh? Go well. See you, brother. Cheers. Uh, it is the Love Racing update with Louis Herman Watt. LoveRacing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replays, profiles, and more. Eat, drink, and get racy. Round up your crew and book now at grandtour.co.nz. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a couple of minutes away from 11, which means it's only a few minutes away from Ian Smith himself making an appearance on his own show. Looking forward to that and talking cricket with him right now with us, though, to talk TAB odds. Is Pip Morris from the TAB. Hey, Pip, how are you? I'm good, Ricardo. How are you this morning? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, excited after seeing the teams come out yesterday, the first weekend of finals for the NRL. A uh, couple of upsets possible this weekend, I reckon. The Raiders are 4-0, and their last four visits to Melbourne, and the Eels have beaten the Panthers twice this season already. What do you reckon my chances are? Yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Eels go and beat the Panthers, but boy, that's going to be a good game, Ricardo. Like you say, they've beaten them twice this season already, and they've beaten them at home, obviously, with Cleary going out in that game. But look, it'll be good to see him back. He's in full training as well. I think it's going to be close either way. I'd be playing that 1-12 to 12 margin uh, with them. Obviously, my Penrith fans are hoping they can get up. I do like your thoughts around the Raiders, though. Do or die game as well, so both of those teams... We'll be going hard. And what about the bunnies and the roosters too? That's going to be another real cracker and close. And as far as the betting goes, Ricardo, there's not been really much difference between all teams. They're pretty even across the board, head-to-head. Roosters are probably the most popular, just slightly 1-12 to 12 on their margin. And the eels as well, just slightly on the head-to-head margin with them. And just today on the racing side of things, look, there's a really nice dog at Thomas and North called Hopetown Heroes been trialling up a storm in race six. He's number five, he's in the 1.6, but chuck him through your multi. 
And at Mata Mata Gallops, number three, Trieste and Timolina in race number one are the best backs at Mata Mata and then the favourites all day long, Ricardo. Yeah, good stuff, Pip. Thanks for coming on, mate. Go well. Have a great day on the punt. Uh, watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Actually, has Ian Smith... On the mornings. Uh, G'day, Smithy. How are you doing? Ricardo, I'm very good, thank you. Um, a little bit downcast after what happened last night, but hey, we've got another chance tomorrow, so uh, you've got to keep on going forward, but disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing, mate. I, I've, I felt like, uh, and we've, you know, I've opened the lines up here as well and asked people to text in questions for you because I knew you were coming on, but it just didn't feel like uh, aggressive enough captaincy from Kane. I, I get that they have prepared bowling plans, but surely when you've got Australia at 5 for 45, two new batsmen at the crease, the ball's moving around, you keep Trent and, uh, and Matt on or you introduce Lockie, don't you, and put your foot on the throat. You do, you do, um, and I think uh, if uh, we we run Kane Williamson this morning and asked him that question, he probably would rethink that plan because we, you don't very often have Australia in that situation, uh, particularly when you're only defending a, a pretty small total that you've achieved yourself. So we had that opportunity, that window of opportunity, and he did sit back. Uh, I mean, he hasn't, because he hasn't played a lot of one-day cricket, of course he hasn't captained a lot of one-day cricket. He's only played, I think, what, four or five games now since the 2019 World Cup. Uh, so I, I, I'm not saying he's out of practice with captaincy, but, you know, captaincy is one of those things that it's like playing, really. You get on a roll and your thoughts are positive uh, and then you just get, keep uh, advancing forward. And I, I imagine in the back of his mind was the thought that they might at some point get a partnership going and he would need Trent Bolt uh, later in the piece. Um, that's probably airing on the, the cautionary side of it. And uh, another six deliveries may have broken that partnership. He still would have had enough uh, left uh, to operate with. And certainly um, at that point, I thought Lockie Ferguson was a, a viable option to really fly in and have a crack with uh, the freedom of knowing that we had more runs to play with. Yeah, we had uh, another text coming from Jared. Uh, in the post-match, uh, Trent Bolt was asked about whether or not he fancied a sixth over uh, You know, at the end of that first spell. And he said, I would have taken a sixth, a seventh and an eighth. I'm not too sure what the thinking was there. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement of the captaincy. I don't know if you can read too much into that. Well, you can, actually. I think you can. I mean, bowlers, when they're going well, never want the ball out of their hand anyway. I think that's a fairly common uh, it's a common theme. Uh, you know, you, back in the day, we, we, you know, Richard Hadley, when he was on a roll taking wickets, never wanted to stop bowling. Uh, and and uh, the same with Chatfield, and I'm, I can only, you know, Danny Morrison, the players that I were, were playing with, when it was their day uh, and when they were hot, they wanted to stay hot. Uh, and so, you know, that was always a, a, uh, an idea, and, and captains have to make that decision. That is their job, whether they budget them or whether they blast with them. Um, but to hear that is good from Trent, to hear that he's disappointed, to hear that he, he wanted to keep going is good because, um, you know, that, it's, it's a sign that he's bowling in the right place and his, his head is in the right place. So, But he's right, um, and, and not very guys, not very often people would say that, and Trent Bolt nine times out of ten would say, no, I'll leave that up to Kane if he wants me on, he, I'm ready, and if he wants me off, then I'm prepared to rest. So that is an interesting revelation from, from Trent Bolt, to be fair, but it's a correct one. 
uh, it is a correct one. He was bowling beautifully. Yeah. Do you, do you think we're at a time now in Kane's career where he can step aside from the captaincy of, of say, the ODIs and, and, you know, like you said, uh, have somebody who just captains us and plays every ODI and captains us so they, they know what's going on, especially a, a year out from a World Cup. I mean, surely a perfect opportunity to give Tom Latham that, that, uh, that job. Yeah, I'm not going to hang him on one uh, one decision. Uh, to be fair, I mean, he's been terrific for us over a long period of time and he hasn't played a lot of cricket. Um, but, uh, you know, that, I think that's been a, a bit of a, a theory for quite some time now. I mean, the best sides in the world, um, i.e. England, i.e. Australia, i.e. India, don't really have uh, a captain who captains in all three forms of the game because the stress of that now these days Back when Kane Williamson started captaincy and back, uh, back when Brendan was there, um, we didn't have quite the same volume of games and the volume of travel and the volume of time away from home that we keep hearing about from players. And so I, I think that, that now, um, you know, at the end of the series, if it doesn't go well, there's a chance to, uh, for Kane in particular to reassess that situation. But, you know, I'd like, you know, I like Kane Williamson's attitude most of the time, I think. You know, he's a very sensible man, um, you know, and we see that with the way he bats, and we saw that way, way back in the World Cup uh, when he looked at conditions, assessed them, and knew that uh, he had to come up with a score that he was competitive with. That's what got us through to that World Cup final, his innings uh, in, uh, at Old Trafford in Manchester. Then, of course, he realised in the World Cup final that we had to make sure we got to a certain point, and we all know what happened at the end of the day there. Uh, and last night again, when he was out there, and he's thinking as a captain, not just a batsman, when he's out in the middle, he's thinking to himself, this is not the pitch we thought it would be. This is not going to be a 300 pitch. Therefore, there is a, a score in the back of my mind uh, that I'm thinking, uh, having been batting on the surface for a long period of time, um, that we need to get to. And last night, his mark was probably around about 250, and he fell about 17, 18 runs short of that. Mm. Who knows what would have happened with another 18, 20 runs in the bank. He might have felt a lot more co- uh, confident about his, uh, the captaincy and protecting that. But we just fell a wee bit short with the bat because we lost so many wickets in a clump towards the end. So um, in, in that respect, uh, he, he saw what could happen on that pitch, so he became cautious. Yeah, and I think that's fair uh, in, in terms of the batting because it was. I, mean, I think it was an unknown to the Aussies as much as it was an unknown to us. I, towards the end of our innings, I watching, I was a bit frustrated that Tom Latham wasn't, uh, you know, pushing for the ones more. I mean, he did block a lot of balls in that last ten overs before he, before he went out, and, I, and you saw that's what uh, Cam Green and uh, did, did particularly well. Um, are all three matches going to be played on that same wicket? They've cut two pitches, Ricardo. Um, so there was one about two metres away. Um, and I would imagine, I'm not sure about tomorrow, but they may well use that one tomorrow, the, a newer one tomorrow, and try and get some life back into this one. Or they may just say, let's play on this one again. Uh, it was a good game of cricket. OK, it was a low-scoring one, but it was even. It was a good contest. It was exciting. We'll play on that one again, and we'll save the other one uh, till uh, perhaps Sunday. So that, that'll be in the, at the hands, really, of the groundsman. The groundsman has been consulted by the guy who looks after or has looked after the Gabba in Brisbane for a long time, the guy Kevin Mitchell Jr. He was uh, out there in the middle yesterday. We saw him. and um, you know, he, So he obviously has had some input into it. It was nothing like, I should say, a Gabba pitch at all. There was nothing true about um, and, and pacey about it, to be fair. Um, but it was an interesting observation to hear from uh, Alan Finch, the Australian captain in particular, 
Uh, he said an interesting thing at the toss. An Australian captain's Ricardo generally on a decent sort of a day they look at their surface. They bat nine times out of ten. On the tenth time they think about batting first when they win the toss, um, and they bat anyway. So you know that has given a good surface. He said openly right from the outset there are so many unknowns about this. Basically, I want to bowl first on it. Kane Williams said exactly the same thing. Didn't know the quality of the pitch. We now know that it's not a traditional one-day pitch as we uh, come to expect from it. It's not, it's not going to be a run first on that surface, although they also said it got better when the lights came on. The ball came on better, um, and I'm not quite sure why that is, to be perfectly honest. It, it just the, the pace of the pitch was better, and we saw a lot of bigger shots when Australia were chasing in earnest. Yeah, we did. We did. In terms of that New Zealand lineup, uh, do you see any changes coming in for the second? I know Glenn Phillips is over there. And do you think we've missed a trick not taking a Sodi and having a leggy? Yeah, I think we, we could have done with Ish Sodi last night. There's no doubt about that. Um, Adam Zampel was good. Um, and Ish Sodi, uh, it's just, he just plays re- revolving door cricket. Uh, Ricardo, you know, sometimes uh, when the. When the door stops, he can walk out of the gap in it, and the other times he's still blocked by the glass. It's as simple as a revolving um, door cricketer, and I'm not quite sure how long he wants to persist with that or whether he wants to throw himself on the open market like Colin de Gronholm and Trent Bolt have done because um, you know he, he was at one point a very, very desired T20 bowler. He was the top wicket-taker for the Adelaide Strikers, um, and he did really well. So whether he wants to think about that, uh, I'd, I'd probably fully support him looking at the frustration he's had. There are other things that went wrong uh, last night, Ricardo. Um, you know, if, when they sit down and really do the numbers on this game, New Zealand will realise that they uh, had around about 160 dot balls in their innings. Mm. That is half the innings, over half the innings where uh, those deliveries were unproductive. Now, if they'd have scored, um, been able to find a gap or run a bit harder at the fielders, 20 more times, what would we have looked at? Um, you know, Australia um, also, when it came to uh, the way they were positioning their fielders, they had them a lot shallower off the boundaries. In other words, uh, we were unable to run many twos. We couldn't get anything like a three. Uh, and and there, there were, you know, net differences there in what they were able to do compared to us. Uh, the number of times they chipped the ball in the air in our fielder was uh, in, in the deep, or the number of times uh, we weren't able to do that. Uh, was quite revealing as well. So there, there are a number of issues when New Zealand sit down. The Trent Bolt catch down at fine leg uh, on Cameron Green. God knows what would, might have happened after that. Um, you know they would have needed 30 or 40 with with uh, you know with, with basically just bowlers to come. Wouldn't have won the game. They would not have won the game if that was the case. There were things we did really, really poorly last night that we have to learn from. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, you know, it's the Chapel Hadley series. We want the Chapel Hadley trophy, Smithy, but the bigger picture is there's a World Cup in 12 months, so it's better to learn these things now than then. Correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, look, you know, uh, we shouldn't lose focus on that. I mean, it, it's it's certainly not the Bledisloe Cup in stature, but it could be. Uh, the fact of the matter is we haven't played for it as much as we should, and you know, the guys I, w- I was working with last night, Brendan Julie and Mark Wall, saying, well, why don't we play for this every year? What, what, what the hell don't we? I mean, you know, these are two pretty even sides, uh, particularly in this form of the game. What, why aren't we giving it a real crack every year? And we should. New Zealand and Australian uh, cricket should push for this because, you know, uh, and make more of the fact that it's, it's a trophy of royalty, really. Uh, the greatest Australian cricket family, probably the Chapels, against New Zealand's greatest cricketing family, the Hadleys. And that's why their names are on that particular trophy. And 
I think it deserves a, a lot more respect. We've had trouble with COVID. Um, that's affected all sports. But now that we're not and we're able to travel freely, we've got to find windows where this, this particular trophy matters a lot more. And, of course, yes, you're right. We are building for a World Cup. We're building for a World Cup in India, and that means uh, we're looking, I think, on, on pitches. I wouldn't say absolutely similar to last night, but where spin will be a massive factor in it. And we've got to start developing, uh, again, those slower bowlers. Uh, and, you know, if Michael Brace was going to be there, he has to do a whole lot more bowling in all forms of cricket. He really does uh, to, to be uh, recognised as an international class off spinner who can contribute in that capacity. I quite like, you know, I quite like the balance of our side last night. When you ask, will there be changes? Not sure. I'm not sure that there will be, to be fair. We know more about the surface now. Does that mean we um, bring another quicker bowler in? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that side damn near won. Uh, without playing that well in, in a lot of areas. And maybe they'll think, well, and I, hasten to, uh, I hesitate to say this, the Ian Foster theory, you got it wrong last time, I'll trust you to get it right this time. Yeah, uh, we had a, a few texts about Bracewell and his role in the team. A question for you, mate, and I know this goes back a little while, but you know when we went to India and they brought Rach and Ravindra in, and I know this was test matches, but he was at seven and they said he's a spinning all-rounder and Gary Stead, I think, used the term project with him, said he's a project going forward. We see him long-term as a guy we can sub in and out with Colin de Gronholm depending on the uh, the conditions. Why then we go to England and they decide that Ajax doesn't work, but they bring in Michael Bracewell ahead of Ruchin Ravindra, who then scoring runs for fun in Durham. I mean, he's another player we could have potentially done with last night. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, I, I think that uh, they got on the Michael Bracewell bandwagon because of the fact they like the maturity that he's got. And they regard him very highly as a batsman. And uh, a lot of the times when New Zealand pick cricket teams, um, to be fair, um, and this is um, a, a, maybe a, a small criticism of, of Kane Williamson, maybe even Gary Stead. We err on the conservative. We err on the scared side. In other words, we use an extra batsman for batting insurance. Uh, and that happened last night. Uh, again, and both captains agreed with that. They play an extra batter because they weren't quite sure there was unknowns about the pitch. So let's have a batting insurance policy. And to think that a guy like uh, you know uh, Glenn Maxwell can come in at number eight. Are you kidding me? Um, and there's a genuine max, match winner who has been proven in the past coming in at number eight. Now, that is a luxury. That's a huge luxury uh, for Australia. And we're a wee bit the same, to be fair. We, we tend to use the batting insurance policy. And that's, I think, really how uh, Colin de Gronholm started his test career. Um, you know, and in Christchurch, and it was a very good test career in the end. But the fact of the matter is he played in that game as a batter at number seven who was going to bowl a few overs. He ended up getting six wickets or five or six wickets. And the rest, of course, is, you know, the proverbial history. Um, they stumbled onto that, and that was out of playing an extra batsman. So that is, that is I think, where we tend to err a wee bit, is that we, we look for batting insurance because we're a little bit worried about the number of runs that we've got. I, I like that side last night, Ricardo. I, I really quite like the look of it, and I quite like the fact that we've got a, lot, a player of the likes of Glenn Phillips waiting in the wings. Uh, you know, Finn Allen waiting in the wings. I quite like that. Um, it, it suggests to me that uh, I'm pretty confident. We've just got to play better. We're, we've just got to, when they look at that last night, as I said, you cannot afford to waste more than half your overs, half those deliveries available to you, without being productive. You, you just can't do that. And, and that was one of the real big no-nos last night for me. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to be trust the same 11 if they're all injury-free um, and, and just say, look, fellas, you know the surface. 
Um, you know where you went wrong. Give it another go. And if that doesn't work and we get mopped up, then we've lost the Chapel Hadley Trophy and we can try investing a little bit more. You might know the answer to this, Smithy, and it might be injury, I'm not sure, but uh, does Daryl Mitchell not bowl anymore? Because when we were hunting for a wicket, I, I thought, you know, why, why aren't we trying that? No, I think he bowls. I haven't heard anything official from that. Um, I, you know, we've certainly used Jimmy Neesham last night, and, and that's the kind of role we would expect from Daryl Mitchell. You, you give him an over on the basis that perhaps you play a hunch, like a Brendan McCullum would play a hunch, and say, let's do something out of the square. This is something different to try and break this partnership when Green and Kerry were going. Uh, and, and, and throw a ball in. Maybe it's his day. He gets a bit lucky. You know, he's, he's got a golden arm. Um, so you, you, you kind of do that. But that's not the Kane Williamson theory, to be perfectly honest. He, he doesn't think that way. He doesn't take punts. He's not one of those risky type players. He's, we know what he's like. We call him steady the ship Kane. We steady the ship Kane. We, we want him to, you know, to be reliable and we trust him. And Kane, we trust. Uh, and, you know, that is how good an influence he's influencing he's been over the years is the fact that we do absolutely trust his judgment. Um, and it'll take a little bit more of, uh, of things going wrong till people um, uh, are a little bit worried about that. But whether it's because we've seen it in the rugby and we look so heavily at leadership now, coaching and leadership, and we think, uh, okay, if we look at it in rugby, we'll let's start looking at it in cricket, cricket that people are asking questions. But the first time in a long time, Ricardo, which we've really considered this. Yep, you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong. Hey, just quickly, a couple of questions about your uh, your commentary colleagues, mate. Uh, had BJ had a, had had a couple of quiets before before the uh, commentary because uh, he started doing a Kiwi accent at one point, and then he suggested that the Kiwis throw the ball to Tim Southey and bring him back into the attack. So I wasn't quite sure what game <laughs> he was watching. I don't think so. Uh, no, uh, BJ, of course, is New Zealand born. He's a Hamilton lad. So, you know, um, and they mock me. They, they don't mind that. Even the director in my ear uh, gives it uh, uh, the sex and all this sort of thing from time to time. So uh, I, I cop it. I, I'm used, pretty used to copying it when I come home here and that with, with uh, a lot of our words differing from theirs. But BJ is a terrific guy. Um, he might have had a, a mental block <laughs> with the uh, with the Tim Southey call, but wouldn't it be good if we did have Tim Southey to throw the ball to at some point last night? But... Uh, yeah, hey, no. Uh, BJ, as far as I was concerned, uh, he was on the level. He was on the level, that's good. And we did have Carl ask us, mate, the most important question you can ask Smithy is what horse tips has he got off Mark Waugh? Because Mark's wife's a very good horse trainer in Sydney. Right, I can't tell you the name of the horse, but it is, is it in today. They're racing at Canterbury. You'll have, they've only got the one in. Uh, be Kim Waugh from Wyong as the trainer. I haven't even had time to look at it. But he said it goes good. It goes. It goes good. It's it's a chance. It's a chance, Ricardo. <laughs> it's a chance, mate. It's a chance. Good stuff, Smithy. Thanks for <laughs> coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, go well, and uh, look forward to hearing you again tomorrow night, eh? Yeah, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it because uh, I rate our chances here. But as I said, we just got to when we get them about that five for forty four, we got to crush them. We got to put. We just do not even have a semblance of taking the foot off the throat, and we did last night. Yeah, we did indeed. Uh, race five at Canterbury, Smithy. Race five at Canterbury. The yep. horse is turning. Uh, it's had a, a win, a second, and two thirds in the last five outings. It's paying three thirty and a dollar twenty-five. Well, there you go, there you go, folks. If you want to back Junior's judgment, you go right ahead. Yeah, indeed, mate. Good stuff, Smithy. Go well, mate. We'll talk to you soon. 
Yeah, cheers, Ricardo. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Uh, Ian Smith here with us out of uh, Australia after commentating on that first Chapel Hadley last night. Thanks for all your texts on double eight double three. I have appreciated those. We're going to talk some All Black Sevens coming up shortly here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith at 11.23. So, so that was good. And then we were a day and a half off after that. And um, certainly the session today was was a bit faster, you can see there's a bit, bit of a spring in the step again as we start the tournament week. So do you sense that the team's building well and there's a good sort of excitement leading into the weekend? Yeah, it's a World Cup, so they're certainly excited. Um, and I guess we just got to keep a lid on that. It's, we talked today, there's a lot of downtime this week. Um, and even within the tournament, there's a lot of downtime. So, so it's really important we just stay nice and calm and, and build the week slowly and yeah, get the building blocks in place to, to take on Scotland. I mean, we had a few boys fly up and join the team from New Zealand. How have they integrated into the group? Yeah, a bit less jet lag than us, so they were. Um, yeah, they've been fresh and they brought a bit of energy and obviously the experience to bring. So it was good to integrate them and and get them back up to speed with a couple of little tweaks we we had in LA and get everybody back on the same page. There you go, Clark Laidlaw talking here to that Sevens World Cup uh, kicking off on Friday evening New Zealand time. Fiji are the favourites for the outright winner market at 3.25, followed by New Zealand and South Africa at fives. The Aussies at 6.50, uh, Argentina 8.50, and then you get into double figures with the likes of Samoa at 13s and France at 21s. England all the way out at 51s, and the US, who are traditionally reasonably strong, at 26s on that one. You could bet live on your favourite sports, download the TAB app today and speaking of the TAB we have a $50 TAB bonus bet to give away with Stumped coming up after the latest in news and sport you want to play, you want to take me on and see if you can take that $50 bonus bet away from the TAB, give us a call now 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 Yes, it is time for Stumped by Smithy. And it's great to hear Smithy on the show just before Ricardo, of course, doing great things there as he does, calling the uh, cricket for our mates over there at Fox with Skull and Hussey and the likes. But yeah. you're in the hot seat. I am. You're in the hot seat. You've you've done all right, kind of, so far. We got it up to 100. We're all, we're Going for 50 today, TAB bonus bet. Thanks, guys. See if we can get it to 150 by Friday. There's a challenge. That's the goal. Oh, we'll see how we go. We've got some interesting uh, categories up up here. I'll tell you that. Uh, some brave people taking you on because, you know, you're a bit of a sponge when it comes to sports. That's saying something for sure. Joey, though, Joey from Auckland, he's up first, mate. Grab your bat. Come to the cruise. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Not too bad. Nice. Hey, uh, we'll get right into it, eh? Your categories today... Uh, rugby, rugby league, and soccer football. Take your pick. Uh, rugby league. All right. Good luck to you both. First question. Who won, well, who has won the 2020 NRL minor premiership? Minor premiership. 2020. 2022, sorry. Oh, Penrith. Penrith Panthers. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Everything's a little bit stiff this morning, it seems. Yes, the correct answer is the Penrith Panthers won 20, lost four in those 24 games. Now, I know, Ricardo, they're taking on your beloved Eels. Yes. Yeah, you've, I think you're feeling a bit confident 
about that after the news that uh, Voss is going to be commentating that game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Andrew Voss, uh, the Eel Whisperer, he's called them 10 times this season. The Eels have won all 10. Uh, fingers crossed it makes it 11 on Friday. <laughs> we'll see. If he does, potentially there might need to be an investigation. <laughs> uh, second question for you, Joey. Of the top eight sides, who finished the regular season with the most points scored? Most points scored? Um, I'll say... It's either Parramatta Parramatta or uh, the Melbourne Storm. Um, I'll say Parramatta. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo would have liked the answer of Davina Parramatta, no yeah. doubt, but what is the correct answer? I'm pretty sure it's Penrith. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Uh, pretty sure, according to Richie Beno, <laughs> you're also wrong. I'm sorry, my friend. The correct answer was the Melbourne Storm with 657. So, a bit like Smithy there. Sometimes you just got to go with your gut feeling mm. rather than going the other way. Last question, though, Joey. You're still alive. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Still talking about points, but now we're talking about players here. Which player scored the most points in the regular season this year? In the regular season? Um... I would say, I, I, I think it's Nathan Cleary, I, I, or um, Mitchell Mars, no, no, not Mitchell, no, I think I'll say Nathan Cleary. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Given the amount of games he missed this season, it would have been really impressive if he did come out on top. Ricardo, over to you. Yeah, I'm thinking um, it's a tough one, actually, because obviously I would have thought Pappenhausen, but then he, he got injured, and so Meany's taken over, so I don't think it's anybody from the Storm. Mm. So I'm going to I'm gonna go Valentine Holmes. Just a couple of chips down on the right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right, for the North Queensland Cowboys. I guess sometimes people just forget about Val Holmes, but yeah, he finished the season with the most re- with the most points in the season, 224. Hard luck, Joey, though, but thank you for playing. No worries, boys. Hey, hey Ricardo. Yeah, Joey. Just, just, just before I go, um, Man United, I'm a Man United fan, mate. And um, You're a good man, Joey. The improvement, oh, the improvement I've seen in that side um, is just at the moment, I know it's only... You know, we've won four in a row, but um, even even Ronaldo's coming back to help them, which he wasn't doing last year when he, when he came on. Um, I think, you know, we're going to have not a bad season. Yeah, I think I you're think right, mate. Right. Yeah, I, I think Eric Ten Hag has got rid of, we got rid of a lot of bad personalities in the dressing room, like guys like Pogba and, and Lingard. And then Ronaldo is obviously a, a force of nature, but Ten Hag has gone, well, you know what? Uh, we don't need you, uh, and he's he's kind of checked him, which is great. And, uh, and I think the best thing he did was after that loss to Brentford, uh, there was a stat, I don't know if you heard it, but United had run 13.8 kilometres less in that match than Brentford. So on Monday, Ten Hag got them all in on their day off, and he ran with them, and he made them all run 13.8 kilometres. And I think that told everybody who was boss, but he also, because he ran it with them, you know, they knew that he was he was in the trenches with them, and I, that seems to have changed the mentality there. So, yeah, I agree with you, mate. Things are, There's some promising signs. Uh, it's not all rosy, 
uh, and I don't expect that no. we're going to win the league, but I, I, I'm a lot more confident now than I was a couple of weeks back. Yeah, you did right there. One touch football uh, is, has been very impressive, and um, and especially and the on the break stuff is uh, very good. It reminds me of the Man United evolve when they had Beckham and and Scholes in that. But um, yeah, it, it, they they just seem to be they just seem to be a more composed, solid, and um, and and Ronaldo I think will enjoy his season even even though he hasn't scored yet. He will enjoy his season a lot more now personally. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what Ted Hag does in the Europa League. Because I don't think you can roll out the same eleven uh, week in, week out, Premier League uh, and then Europa League. So, you know, we might see the likes of Lindelof, Shaw, Maguire, uh, probably even Ronaldo actually start games in the Europa League and, and, and almost have two teams. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not over not over keen to be honest. Just quickly on on um, Maguire, I think he's been I think he's been very poor. And when he came on against Arsenal, I didn't think he was that good. He gave away a a free kick, kick straight away, and and I just thought, you know, I mean, he he, play, he plays well for England, but he, he just doesn't seem to do the same for United. But that's how it is. Yeah, so we'll be right. Go, go, man, United, mate. Indeed, Joey. Go well, mate. Thanks very much for for calling through, and uh, better luck next time. Uh, we are up to a hundred dollars TAB bonus bet for tomorrow, uh, Logan. And uh, I suppose you're going to need another new category. Yeah, uh, just quickly before we go to the break, I just wanted to reply to a question we got here from Chris on the uh, Temper Bet Post text machine, asking what is the format of the Rugby World Cup sevens. Uh, we actually had Clark Laidlaw on from the airport mm. on his way to Cape Town uh, last week. So what it is, it's this is going to be full on, basically four games. It is a knockout format. So as you mentioned, there are there's sort of like a qualifying round before that to decide who New Zealand will play in the round of 16. If they make it through to that, it's then quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the championship final. But if we manage to slip up in any of those games, they're out. And the same goes for the Blackburn Sevens. Boom. It's sudden death. Sudden death. Love it. It's going to keep it uh, keep everybody on their toes. When we come back, uh, we're going to catch up with Andy Thompson from the Rural Roundup and see what's happening on today's show. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 15 away from midday, and that means it's 15 away from the Rural Roundup, starting with Andy Thompson, who who joins us wearing a uh, resplendent in a YTT Rugby Club uh, jersey out of Tikawiti. Mate, uh, you're, you're a long way from there, I'd imagine, right now. Mate, that's well spotted, Ricardo. That is absolutely well spotted. This was given to me when um, uh, well, the other radio show I used to work for, we went on a tour. And uh, we went up there, and uh, it was gifted to us, actually, uh, the three of us. Um, Sir Colin Meads, there's a good photo of us with Sir Colin uh, standing uh, standing arm in arm. Obviously, it's not actually the real Sir Colin, because he wasn't there at the time, but the uh, the, the the cardboard cutout in the Waititi Rugby Club room. So um, it's, um, um, yep, it's uh, very proud to wear this uh, wear this uh, polo, actually. Yeah, I wear mate. it quite a bit. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good-looking polo, mate. I, I imagine that... Uh, uh, you're actually fitting into it a little bit better than you might have been a couple of weeks ago after all the sandbags you've had to shovel in the last couple of weeks, eh? I mean, you'd be working out like a trooper. 
Mate, um, I work for Civil Defence. I'm a controller in Westland, and I figured out a few years ago that if you sit in the big office, right, and make the rules and and work, you don't actually have to go out and uh, shovel the sandbags. You just <laughs> have the ability to ask other people to do that for you. Um, and uh, you know, like they're slightly smarter than the average bear on this one. But you're right, mate. It's been a bit of a uh, it has been a bit of a nightmare over the last few days. In fact, the stats have come out for the rain on the west coast, and I used this uh, in my uh, rural piece today. I don't know if you've caught up with them but uh, it's been the wettest in Hokitika since uh, 1866 um, 1137 millimetres of rain fell in winter in Greymouth it's been 999 we needed one more millimetre to get to the metre of rain uh, for winter so she's been very wet on top of that though it's been the warmest we've ever been um, I think on the 19th of August we got to 19 degrees which wow. is a record so wet and warm is the way you can describe it. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that Robin Williams movie in Vietnam, right? Yeah, so, 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 they, so, same, same deal, mate. Uh, in terms of um, uh, what that means for the region, that rain. I mean, like you know, farmers always want some rain. They always want the the, the wells to be full and the and the water table to be full, but. I would imagine when you're getting that much rain, you, how much topsoil and nutrients and things like that are you, are you losing as well? Look, on the coast it's interesting. Um, if we get um, heavy rain like that up around the um, uh, around the Buller region, um, we've had some serious issues. There's a bit of low-lying land up there, particularly around the mouth of the Buller River, but pretty much around the west of the coast. So from uh, from Buller south down to Westport, uh, sorry, down to Greymouth and into South Westland, uh, we don't lose a lot. Those rivers are very fast-flowing. Uh, they generally stay in their banks. Uh, they don't sort of spread out because the fall, actually, it's it's not very far to the mountains. If you've ever been down to the coast mm. and you're driving down the, the stunning coast road heading south on State Highway, um, you're looking up the mountains. They're not very far away from you. So there's a tremendous fall. So, look, it does run off. It does sit in a few low-lying areas. But it, but in generally, in fact, there was some stats that came out this week that said southwestern rivers are considered pristine still uh, just because of what you're talking about, that flow. Uh, and that fall and so nutrients um, don't tend to get run off we don't tend to have water quality issues on the west coast even with our agriculture yeah oh that's great to hear mate that's great to hear how's, how's everybody holding up and, and are things just about back to some sort of normal uh, yeah, look, things are back to normal. In fact, they're going to get even more back to normal this weekend, Sunday, uh, Saturday, um, in the uh, Rundle Cup. We've got West Coast versus Buller. So um, really looking forward mm. to that on Saturday. That is the uh, that is the big grudge match um, down in Rugby Park here in Greymouth. So I'm going to head down to that Saturday afternoon uh, and uh, and have a that – is, that, is that is a magnificent rugby match. Sometimes um, there's some rugby played. As well. <laughs> Kevin here from rugbyheartland.co.nz. Uh, he's a great man to talk to about the Heartland Championship. He told me, swore black and blue when we previewed the competition with him, that West Coast were going to win the Meads Cup this year. He said, they're my smoky, they're going to win the Meads Cup. Since he made that prediction, I think they're 0 they haven't 3. Won. No. Yeah. yeah. No, look, um, uh, love Kevin to bits, but I think he's a bit wrong on this one. Or, although I would say, um, and it was magnificent, wasn't it, to get that game on, on Sky the other day against I think it was Teams Valley, their centenary match. Yeah. Um, I thought I haven't had a chance to see Coast play this year, but I thought they were looking fitter than I've seen them for a, a wee while. Well led, well coached by Troy Talfley, um, a great a great player from uh, from down in Hokie Way, um, and part of the the championship winning Kiwi team. Although that does make me struggle to say that uh, again, but. Um, 
look, this Meads Cup rugby, this um, is fantastic, um, Lahore Cup, Meads Cup. Um, and if you get a chance to watch those games, watch them. There's some great rugby in there, and you see some great characters, don't you? Some of them, let's just say they, um, uh, they're not, not kind of the fittest, but the skill's there. The skill's there, and you see the West Coast looking fit, mate. It's all those sandbags. It's all those sandbags. Uh, it is all those sandbags. Some yeah. of those boys will have been doing that work too, I just quietly, Ricardo. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you got coming up on the show from midday? Mate, we've got a really interesting topic today on the Rural Roundup. Um, what there's, Look, there's something going on in New Zealand agriculture at the moment, a bit of a battle between uh, the perception of what is animal welfare and what are animal rights, and do they match? Do they meet? How, do, how are these two situations or these two, I suppose, ideas or ideologies, how, how do they mix? And, and so uh, we're going to talk to uh, Eric Roy, the chair of New Zealand Pork. Um, he's made some comments about that. The Animal Welfare Act, he's saying it's an Animal Rights Act, not an Animal Welfare Act. Interestingly enough, he was one of the uh, he was in Parliament at the time. He was one of the guys that wrote it. So uh, we're going to talk to him. We've got the Safe Chief Executive Deborah Ashton. So Save Animals from Exploitation on about that. And then we're going to follow up with Wayne Langford, who is the Federated Farmers Vice President and the Animal Welfare Spokesman. So we're going to dig into that. Uh, we've got our Rural Hero of, of the Week. We're going to talk uh, Black Cats Cricket last night with legendary Kiwi broadcaster Brendan Telfer. We all know Telf. Uh, and then uh, we're going to finish off with a bit of a chat from uh, Gallagher's Lindsay White and Ansco's Warwick McKee. So plenty on the show. Looking forward to it. Uh, tune in. Yeah, will do, mate. we Will do. Go well, Andy. Thanks very much for coming on, mate, and have a great show. Good to tap, Ricardo. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Andy Thompson there with the Rural Roundup. You can catch that from midday in all frequencies except for Auckland and Wellington. When we come back, the bloke that will be filling your earwaves in Auckland and Wellington, Mark Stafford. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.